Welcome to 364.15 True Crime, we're bringing you true crime via the Dewey Decimal System. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm here with my BFF and co-host, Sam. What up, Sam? What's up, Kat? All right, so the Dewey Decimal System, I'm taking you back to the good old days of the public library with the call number 364.15. Three, social sciences. Six, social problems. Four, criminology. One, crimes and offenses. Five, offenses against persons. And of course, Sam, you know us. We're going to have a little levity here. <laughs> it gets dark. Of course it does. It does. So today's book is People Who Eat Darkness. It's by Richard Lloyd Perry. So I want to take a look at the book itself. I got a paperback from the library. The cover is like it goes from... Um, it's like ombre, like the binding is dark, um, black, and then it fades into like a metallic copper. And um, there's some newspaper clippings and this picture of a man. Um, he has glasses, but no real distinct features. So Sam, are you familiar with the hostess culture in Tokyo? Slightly, not that familiar. Okay, so um, it's a very far extension from being a geisha, right? Um, so it's like rich people come into the bar now, and when I say people, there's bars for rich women where men will be the host, and there's oh. bars for rich men where women are the hostesses. In this case, we're de we're dealing with bars where, um. It's female hostesses. Okay. So the way it works is that um, a patron will come into the bar and they'll sit down somewhere and a host will come over and entertain them. They pour their drinks. They light their cigarettes. They, you know, entertain the small talk and make these guys feel like really good about themselves. Okay. But it is commission-based. So when someone comes in and, and a uh, hostess sits with them, she gets a little piece, you know, but it goes by the hour. And all this information came from an interview with Kai Mayazawa. Maya I'm sorry, I didn't pronounce that right. Um, and so all they're trying to do is get into that 61st minute of the next hour. And whatever it takes to get that customer to stay for the next hour is more commissions for the hostesses and more money for the bar. On top of that, if the bar wants to make more money and the hostesses want to make more money, they um, will have sort of this like casual boyfriend that they call a dohan. So it's not a boyfriend. You're not making out with them. Or, or having sexual relations with them, but you're doing what you do as a hostess, but out in public. So, you know, they look good and they're like, you know, popping their collars and stuff like that out in public. The bar gets a cut, the hostess gets a cut, and that's kind of the where most of the money comes from. Well, would a dohan kind of be like a regular for uh, these hostesses? So it would be, so it usually starts as a regular, and then 
it goes from the bar to regular restaurants. So a Doham will take a hostess, you know, out on a fancy date to a fancy restaurant and maybe buy her gifts and and stuff like that. And for him, it's just like stroking the ego, having everyone look at him and be like, oh my God, he's with someone that's so beautiful type of gotcha. thing. But the, but the club still gets a cut. A cut. Yes. All right. So in 1992, Karita was working as a hostess in Tokyo. And she traveled with her sister, Samantha. Her Samantha was a teacher. Karita and Samantha were from Perth, Australia. And back in Perth, um, Karita and Samantha had their parents. And Karita had a boyfriend. And he loved her so, so much. And so Karita would, what she would do is hostess for a few months and then take that money and travel for a few months. So that was her thing there. And so at this point in time, it's her third time going to Japan to be a hostess. And in February of 1992, her sister Samantha called their parents telling them that Karita went out for the weekend and she's now very, very ill and she is comatose in the hospital. So the family, along with her boyfriend, whose name is Robert Finnegan, went to Karita's bedside out there in Tokyo and were told that she has liver failure. We don't know why, but... How old is she? She's in her 20s. She has liver failure and they give her like half half chance to live but the family was also told that she made it to the hospital by someone a man who did not stay but provided the name akira nishida so let's jump to 1995 three years later Mm -hmm. and we're gonna meet we're gonna meet krista mckenzie she's from britain and she went to tokyo looking for a change of scenery, really probably just trying to find herself. You know what I mean? And so like Karita, Krista was a hostess. And one day this dude comes into the bar. His name is Yuji Honda and he was rich. I mean, he had swag. He spoke English. He had a list, but he spoke English. Krista found him weird he was he wasn't hot but there was a cockiness about him that made her want to know more and so that very first evening they spent the night together and you know over time he becomes her dohan and he starts taking her out weekly to nice dinners and stuff like that and every time he picked her up he had a different car i mean this man was rich rich yeah he had Porsches, like more than one Porsche, Rolls Royce, like loaded. And so, you know, at some point she got off her shift. And I mean, this is a bar. So her shift ends at like, you know, 2, 3 a.m. He picks her up and he's like, let's go to the seaside. And he was in his Rolls Royce and, and, and Krista's thinking the seaside, like Hollywood, like Malibu, like let's oh let's do it they get there and it's like if you took the projects from harlem and put it by the water it's not cute it is not cute 
They go up to the apartment. Yuji's apartment is tiny and cramped. And I mean, he was being this kind of quirky guy that he normally is. He started playing guitar. He loves Santana. So like, you know how you do karaoke and you sing? Yeah. He put on Santana and played the guitar. Okay. Okay. So, you know, it comes to a point. Sun's coming up and Krista's like, I want to go back to Tokyo. And, you know, Yuji's like, wait, 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 wait. You need to try this Filipino wine. I spent so much money on it. You have to try this wine. Yeah. So, you know, he gives her like a, a little taste, you know, and, and she just wants to go home. So she just downs it. She's standing by the window and her head gets fuzzy. And she thought, quote, oh, fuck. Unquote. Krista wakes up in the bed. She's in her clothes. She's like thinking about her body. She didn't feel sore. But it was nighttime. So they got there on Saturday, you know, 3 a.m. And now it's Saturday and the sun is down. She must have been out for 20, well, no, like 12, 16 hours? Yeah. And Yuji was just acting like nothing happened. Krista said, you know, can you take me back to Tokyo? He took her home and never came back to the club. That's a red flag. Krista just let it go she moved on with her life she worked at different places you know around tokyo and then in the year 2000 an old friend that she knew from britain had a request would you please set my sister louise phillips and her friend lucy blackman over there in tokyo they want to be hostesses and krista said sure So Lucy Blackman and Louise had been friends for a decade. Lucy was 21. She was curvy, blonde, blue eyes, tall, 5'7". Louise was kind of the opposite. She was uh, petite, brunette, very slim. Both of them love to get dressed up, you know, beat their face. They are not going out the house in sweatpants. And they were so excited to go to Tokyo. But it kind of seemed like Louise was more excited than Lucy. Mm -hmm. Some folks thought that Louise had a kind of domineering personality. Um, And then some folks thought that Lucy was just a people pleaser. But uh, the overall consensus was that Lucy didn't really want to be a hostess. Like it wasn't working for her. You know? But, you know, no one talked her out of it. She's a grown-up. She can do what she wants to do. And they were happy when they got to Tokyo. And then they got to their apartment. And, I mean, they weren't expecting luxury, but they were not expecting this. Two sofa beds, no AC, a tiny room, and shared bathrooms. Yeah, when you said Tokyo... (laughs) have you seen some of the real estate no i don't i don't hunt zillow like you do yeah well if you go to tokyo and you try to find something that's going to be on the cheaper end it's pretty much a closet Mm -hmm. 
They had high hopes. Yes. So wait, wait. Where when you were twenty one, what was your apartment like? One, two bedrooms, one bath. It was technically a condo. You had a condo? No, but here. Bougie. Will's dad had a condo. Correction. He had a condo that we were using. We had the parent privilege. That's what it was. Okay. Because I definitely like I was in Florida. I was in Opelika. And I had a one-bedroom apartment, but all I had was a bed. Um, like, that was it. We had that, that parent privilege where his dad owned the condo. Only, we only, and, oh, geez. only thing we had to pay for was the HOA fees and internet. And then electricity and internet. Dang. So, HOAs were like 400 bucks a month. Bougie. So we, yeah, it was not typical 21-year-old has to... Um, Dang, girl! <laughs> so Lucy and Louise, they start hostessing at a bar called Casablanca. And, um, you know, Lucy's not making as much money as she hoped. Because this is supposed to be a money grab. Like, you go, you look cute, you entertain people, you rake in commissions. And, she, you know, to begin with, she didn't have the best self-esteem. And then you go into this job where things are kind of based on your looks. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, it affects you. So, you know, she's looking at herself. She thinks she's too tall. She thinks she's overweight. She has this birthmark between her eyes that she hates. She doesn't like the shape mm -hmm. of her eyes. Like, she is spiraling. And yeah, that's a really bad profession to to try to get into if you have all of those self-esteem issues. And Japanese people, they're, they're quote-unquote, they're, what they find beautiful is a lot different than Western values. So yeah. that's, that's an interesting thing to get into if up to part of what Japanese people like. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't try to post this because I don't get it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, she's not making as much money as she was hoping. But she does eventually get her footing and she starts to have regulars and a dull hand and things are going well. She starts like feeling herself, you know? She's like, I got this. And then she meets a dude named Scott. He's a soldier from Texas Station in Japan. I mean, I wish. Hello. So Lucy at this time was following that think like a man mentality, hold out, make them pay hard to get and stuff like that. But she was falling for Scott, falling for him. Problem was, she was neglecting her dohan. Yeah. But, you know, she had backups. And so on July 1st, the year 2000, Lucy had a meeting with the Dohan and he offered to give her a cell phone. And this was enticing to her because on top of having a shared bathroom, they had a shared phone. So there was no privacy when they were on the phone. Now, her best friend Louise knew she was going to the meeting, but she didn't know the name of the Dohan. All she knew was that they were meeting at Senendaya Station. However, Lucy was not one to dip out without letting Louise know where she was and what she was doing. 
This is a very rare occurrence. And then she went to a second location. Lucy went to the seaside. Lucy called Louise from her new phone to confirm plans because they had plans that evening. So she calls her to confirm plans and sets off to the seaside. Lucy did not come back to their apartment to meet those plans. Louise began to panic immediately. Lucy is not one to be out of pocket. Okay. She's not doing this. So Louise goes to the club that they were planning to go to. Lucy's not there. She goes to the bar they work at, Casablanca. Lucy's not there. Louise goes to every single club and bar that they had ever gone to and talked to everyone that would talk to her. No Lucy. Louise starts to panic. But people are like, it's been like five hours. It's still that she falls off the face of the earth after you've already established plans, you knew what you were going to do after the fact. She doesn't show up. You know, um, I think I would have panicked too. If you went missing for five hours, I'd probably be called. Right. You know me. I'm good for a wellness check. But that's what everyone's saying. Like, she's grown up. Like, she's with the Dohan. If he wants to pay her for the weekend, she's going to stay the weekend type of thing. But Louise is, is not with the shits. So she goes to the Azabu police station. They didn't care. She goes to the British embassy. They didn't care. But on top of not caring, they were looking at her like, do you know something you're not telling us? What's that supposed to mean? They were treating her like a suspect. Oh, jeez. So it had been two days since Louise last saw Lucy. Mm. And she didn't want to go back to that apartment. You know, she just wanted to be with friends, but not in that apartment. And there were a bunch of friends that were like gathered together, just kind of like sort things out. And while she's there, because Louise has a cell phone, her phone rings. End quote. Hello, Louise said. Am I speaking to Louise Phillips? Said a voice. Yes, this is Louise. Who is this? My name is Akira Takagi. Anyway, I'm ringing on behalf of Lucy Blackman. Lucy, oh my God, where is she? I've been so worried. Is she there? I'm with her. She is fine. Oh God, thank God. Let me speak to Lucy. I need to speak to her. It was a man's voice. He spoke English confidently, but with a distinct Japanese accent. He was at all times calm and controlled and matter of fact almost friendly, even when Louise became agitated and upset. She must not be disturbed now, the voice said. Anyway, she is in our dormitory. She is studying and practicing a new way of life. She has so much to learn this week. She can she can't be disturbed. To her friends, Louise was frantically mouthing, it's him, and signaling for paper and pen. Who is this? she said. Are you the one she went out with on Sunday? I met Lucy Sunday. She met my guru on Saturday. My group's leader. Your guru? Yes, my guru. Anyway, they met on the train. But she 
when I spoke to her, she was in a car. The traffic was bad, so bad. And she didn't want to be late to meet you. So she decided to take the train. Just before she got on the train, she met my guru and she made a life-changing decision. Anyway, she decided to join his cult that night. A cult? Yes. What do you mean a cult? What? Where is Lucy? Where is this cult? It's in Chiba. What? Say that again? Can you spell it? In Chiba. I spell it C H I B A. Chiba. 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 And what is that called? It's the newly risen religion. The what? What is the newly risen religion? The man calmly spelled this phrase out too, letter by letter. Louise's thoughts was churning. I have to speak to Lucy, she said. Let me speak to her. She's not feeling too well, said the voice. Anyway, she doesn't want to talk to anyone now. Maybe she will talk to you at the end of the week. Please, said Louise. Please, please let me talk to her. The line went dead. Hello? Hello? said Louise. But there was nobody there. She looked at the small silver telephone in her hand. A few heartbeats later, it rang again. With trembling fingers, she pressed the pickup button. I'm so sorry, said the same voice. The signal must have broken. Anyway, Lucy can't talk to you now. She's not feeling well. Maybe she will talk to you at the end of the week. But she has started a new life, and she won't be coming back. I know that she has a lot of debts, six or seven thousand pounds, but she is paying them off in a better way. Anyway, she just wants to let you and Skoto know she's okay. She's planning a better life. He said quite distinctly, Skoto, the characteristic Japanese rendering of the unfamiliar English name Scott. She has written a letter to Casablanca to say that she will not be coming back to work. There was a pause. Louise began to sob. Anyway, what, what is your address? Louise said, my address? The address of your apartment and send a Yaga. Why, why do you need my address? I want to send you some of Lucy's belongings. Louise Dread, which up until now had been on behalf of her friend, suddenly became personal. He wants to know where I live, she was thinking. He's going to come after me. She said, well, Lucy knows it. She knows her address. She's not feeling too well now, and she cannot remember. Well, I can't remember either. Well, can you remember where your house is near? No, no, I can't remember. What about the street? Can you remember the street? No, I... Anyway, I need to send her belongings back. I can't remember. If it's a problem, don't worry. I haven't got it on me now. That's okay. Don't worry. Louise was overcome by panic and emotion. Weeping, she handed the phone to a friend, an Australian man who had lived in Tokyo for years. Hello, he said in Japanese. Where is Lucy? After a few moments, he handed the phone back. He'll only speak English, he said. He only wants to speak to you. But Louise had collected her thoughts. She realized that it was important to draw the conversation out to try to find out where Lucy was. 
Hello, she said. This is Louise again. So can I join your cult? The voice seemed to hesitate. Then it said, what religion are you? Louise said, well, I'm Catholic, but Lucy's a Catholic too. I don't mind changing. I want to change my life too. Anyway, it's up to Lucy. It's up to what she thinks. I will think about it. Please let me speak to Lucy, said Louise desperately. I'll speak to my guru and ask him. Please let me speak to her, Louise cried. I'm begging you, please let me speak to her. Anyway, I have to go now, the voice said. I'm sorry. I just had to let you know that you won't see her again. Goodbye. So, Lucy's probably dead. Back in Britain. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Lucy's family consisted of her father. She had a father named Tim. She has a mother named Jane. She has a younger sister, Sophie, and a younger brother, Rupert. Now, Tim and Jane, they split up when Lucy was a tween because Tim had an affair. Yeah, true. Um, at that point, I mean, her parents have been married for 19 years. So when he got caught out, Jane was like throwing his stuff in the lawn. I'm done with you. Bye. But the dad, he didn't send child support. He didn't make an effort to visit. He just kind of accepted it and dipped out. So now it's the year 2000. Lucy's missing. In the background, Tim's remarried to a woman with four teenagers. Yeah. And when they find out she's missing, her sister Sophie is boots down in Tokyo as fast as she could. And shortly after that, Tim, the dad, followed. Now, Sophie spent some time um, by herself. She goes to the Azabu police station and the British embassy and she's getting nowhere. But mm -hmm. Tim, Tim shows up. He sets up a press conference. But he wasn't like, um, oh, please, please help me find my daughter. He was more like posed and and firm and, you know, uh, yeah, just composed and, and, and like firm. And so they're staying at this hotel in Tokyo. And they're eating at a restaurant one night. And this rich guy named Hugh Shakespeare offered his assistance. Hugh had seen them in the news and he really wanted to help out. And it just so happened he had an office with extra space. So he offered the space to Tim to act as a center of operations for finding Lucy. Mm -hmm. Hugh gave Tim a dedicated phone number to act as a hotline for tips. On top of that, Hugh gave Tim 200,000 yen and um, a friend of his gave another 100,000 more yen. On top. Hey, Hugh, random guy they meet on the street. Random guy in a restaurant, just really sympathetic to the cause. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after that, oh, wait, on top of that, Hugh said the restaurant they met at, he told the owners of the restaurant, this family can eat here no matter what on my dime they're good okay so after this a lot of volunteers step forward this this hub is up and running um assistance came in things were expensive they were privatized that made no progress they had to find 
flyers. They had to take calls. And every tip that came in was thoroughly investigated until they could rule it out. So, like, if there was a sighting in a different country on the other side of the world, they would reach out to that embassy and that embassy would investigate it until they knew it was a dead end. So this this ran deep. The pro, the press conferences continued. Um, I mean, Prime Minister was contacted. The family is doing everything to find Lucy. Gotcha. So but is the police involved? Oh, they don't care. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so Sophie is here, and Tim yeah. is here, but yeah. where are Rupert and Jane, the little brother and the mom? Uh huh. So Rupert's 16. Okay, so he's still in school. He's in school. This is a lot for Jane, the mom. It just, it was too much for her to handle. And um, so she had her own way of doing things. She was a very spiritual person and she believed in the supernatural. Not in a macabre way, but she would just kind of see signs in the day and find meaning in them she trusted psychics and mediums and so jane did her investigation from britain using these tools and all of the feedback she received was sent to sophie via email quote lucy is being held in a rundown house by a sewage works she's on a small island owned by the yakuza She's in a Georgian building with servants and gaming tables. She was taken there in a rusty green van. She was taken there in a floating gin palace. Her captor is a man with bad skin and a scar on his right cheek. Her captor is a Japanese woman with a single plate. Louise knows more than she's letting on don't trust her. One of the Japanese police is bent don't trust him. They are Japanese mafia. They are an Arab organization. Lucy's hair has been cropped. Lucy is being drugged. Lucy is not being physically harmed. She sailed from Yokohama. I'm getting the name Kiriashi. Where is Okinawa? What is Tishumo, Toshimo, or Tushima? Look for the crossroads with the fountain and the temple nearby. Check the phone bill. Choose the second private detective. The man, he keeps snakes. On a bare shoulder, I see the tattoo of a rose. And all of this they got from the... Psychics. Okay. All right. So like you said, what's up with the police? All right. Mm -hmm. So when they check in with them, they say they're moving as fast as possible, really digging into it, but everything's going really slow. Um, The press conferences, the British government's getting involved. The police are still like, "Eh, whatever. Um, They were like, the police are just like, she's an adult. If she wants to go away, she can go away. Like lots of people go away and they don't want to be found. But, I mean, if we're going to suspect anybody, it's Louise. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I don't. I don't understand. 
Well, the only thing, I, th- I think, one question that's on my mind. Um, I know when she left, I'm assuming she took her purse, her phone. Had, did she have a she bank account? She didn't have a phone. Oh, no. She didn't have a phone. Yeah, uh, Louise had a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Did she have account because you said this was in 2000 this is 2000 in japan so i would imagine that she's just doing cash because she's not a japanese citizen she's so there's no debit card trail that you could follow no okay and so the police are wondering why was louise so worried so quickly like this is your best friend of 10 years how do you how did you not ask the name of the person she was gonna go meet like of all the things right you've been friends for 10 years you're not gonna say what's his name i thought she i thought she gave a name the station no she gave the station name but not the man's name okay so the police were so invested in louise being a suspect they gave her an apartment what? Yes. Okay, you gotta run that back for me. Mm. So the police give her an apartment because they think she has something to do with her friend's disappearance. Yes. And not only did they give her an apartment, she got a daily stipend for like food and and all you know, the regular stuff, like if you traveled for work. So basically let's go to Tokyo and be suspects in a crime when we could just be living off of the Japanese police that we know. Basically. But they did question her every single day for weeks. Sure, as long as you're paying me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this economy, let's go. Hello. <laughs> so in the meantime, Tim and Sophie, you know, they have jobs lives businesses so they made an agreement that sophie would stay in tokyo for two weeks while tim the dad went home and then they would switch so tim was the first one to go home because you know he has the wife and the teenage uh stepkids and the day after he gets home he gets a phone call from someone named mike hills mike hills is a gangster not not a street gangster he's an arms dealer okay mike hills brings guns to court in japan and then middlemen hired by the yakuza pick up the guns and deliver them to the yakuza according to mike hills lucy had been kidnapped and drugged to be sex trafficked i mean I think that kind of tracks with the second girl story of feeling like a drink made her feel terrible. She lost track of time. So yeah, maybe this is like some kind of operation where they do this to foreign girls to try to get them into sex. Yeah, sounds plausible. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I, it makes sense. It doesn't sound that far fetched. Yeah. So. Mike Hills, I mean, he's saying, I can negotiate with the kidnappers and I can get Lucy back safely. And Tim is like, what? yeah, What's in the that sounds great. <laughs> like, okay. But Mike is saying that, like, 
the police were being super paranoid. So the, the border police would just take money and let the guns be let into Japan. But because of all the news media, the cops weren't taking the bribes anymore. Yeah. And Mike couldn't get their, the guns off the boats. And then the Yakuza's mad and he's not making money. And it's a whole thing. So, so that's where his goal is. He's trying to help so his business can keep moving the way it has been moved before all this happened. Exactly. So, Mike knows where she's at. Mm-hmm. And in order to get her home safe, it's going to cost $50,000. Okay. In a show of good faith, Mike made a down payment of $12,500. And he tells Tim to reimburse him. And then the operation can begin. So they met. Mm -hmm. Um, Tim paid the money. And Mike said, all right, the next step is go back to Tokyo with a payment of $25,000. Then they'll release Lucy. And once Lucy's back home, you send the final payment of $12,500. I don't know if that adds up properly. Not great at the maths. So he gives the initial $12,500. Mike's got to send twenty five, and so then there's, there's another twelve five. Yeah, so there's two twelve fives that equal twenty five. Twenty five twenty five equals fifty. All right, good. All right, all right. So Mike provides proof of his identity, proof of his address, all sort of stuff like that. Gives Tim a, a burner phone and says, "Don't answer it. Don't use it. Don't text from it. Just keep it charged." And when you get a call, that's for Lucy, mm-hmm. right? So he does it. He gets the $25,000 cash. He goes to Tokyo. He's waiting for this call, waiting for this call, waiting for this call. Mike calls him and says, they got nervous. They decided to sell her. Mike's a scammer. So in August, the hotline, you know, at the hub, set up by Hugh um they get a call from a man named Makoto Ono and he would only speak with Tim face to face so Tim goes with a family acquaintance because I mean you know I mean it's a little sketchy yeah and um they get to this apartment but this is not an apartment people live in there's mattresses on the floor cameras lighting porn magazines are all over nudie posters are on the wall this was a studio for making pornos now makoto confessed he says hey i'm a sadomasochist a sadomasochist sadomasochist words are hard it sounds weird, right? Okay, we'll move on. Wait, wait, Yeah, it's sadomasochist. Yeah, it's a masochist. All right. And had been a member of different groups over time. And so there was one group that he was with about 10 years ago that was run by a guy named Ryuji Matsuda. 
And at one of their gatherings, young women were being hired to be photographed and tied up in straps and ropes. But there was something about Ryuji that rubbed Makoto the wrong way. Ryuji was just doing the most. So Makoto left. He was like, this is too much for me. Um, uh, no. So he goes finds groups that are a little more mild, more to his style. And, um, but after Lucy disappeared, one of the members from that Ryuji group reaches out to him. And his name is Akio Takamoto. And Akio is upset. And he keeps saying, he did it. Ryuji finally did it. Maybe he made a porno of it. Of it. Let's go look. Makoto remembers Ryuji's fantasies. According to Akio Ryuji, according to Akio, Ryuji built a dungeon to carry out his fantasies and was told by Ryuji that he was going to kidnap a woman and say that she chose to join a cult. Upon finding this out, Makoto went to the Azabu police and told them. And the police did nothing with this information. They asked him for an interview. So the police asked Makoto to come back for a full interview. But before he did, Akio went back to him like super upset, totally convinced that Ryuji killed Lucy. So a couple weeks passed by and Akio's wife called a mutual friend and said, Akio's missing. And Makoto knew where his sex dungeon was. So Makoto goes to Rakio's sex dungeon apartment knocks on the door there's no one there but the door's open so he pushes the door open he sees the shoes by the door so he knows someone's there the room smells terrible and as makoto enters the apartment he notices two legs akio was naked dead and hanging with human shit in his mouth. What? Yes. I have so many questions. So it looked like it was autoerotic asphyxiation, right? But who shit? Right? That's the question. Who shit is this? Oh my dear. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to file that away in the box. It's never going to be okay. So when they tested, it was his own shit. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why this is funny. No. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Like the preparation you had to serve. Yeah. Oh my. I don't know why this is so funny. I don't know why it's weird. Okay. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Getting it together. (laughs) So, with this information, Tim, he had a family acquaintance in town. Mm -hmm. And so he sent this family acquaintance to Ryuji's sex dungeon. So, Ryuji is the guy that Aiko, who now is hanging with his shit in his mouth, was accusing. Of murdering Lucy, right? Got it. So they jump the fence, break the window, 
and inside there is porno magazines on top of porno magazines and porno videos on top of porno videos like dildos so many dildos and it's not sex toys they're like torture sex tools like clamps to hold a person's legs open tubes that get inserted and you couldn't even tell like what was supposed to be happening to the man and what was supposed to be happening to the woman like it was just so much crazy stuff in there kind of reminds me of that serial killer with toy box oh god he's sick that, yeah that this is what this reminds me of like that whole setup with the room and the toys and it's less pleasure and more torture yes Yes. And I think they said in the book, this is where pain and pleasure meet. Yes, yeah, I was just straight pain, fam. I don't see anything. So, all this is happening. Tim and Sophie continue traveling between Tokyo and Britain, checking in for tips. And I just need, all right, I got to take an aside. Where does this money come from? How are they traveling back and forth like this? guys doing because i can't imagine that flights from tokyo to any part of britain are going to be cheap right and i mean they do have jobs they do have i don't know businesses and maybe family money or something but this is a lot yeah every two weeks you're flying back and forth from england to japan that's a lot of money it's a lot and like as much as all of us want to do whatever we can if our kids were in this situation, this is a lot of money. Yes, I anyone I know could find. So, exactly. So there are donations that are made. And, you know, some of them are anonymous. Some of them aren't. And Tim, the dad, is in charge of, you know, distributing the funds where they need to go to continue looking for Lucy. But how good a job was he doing? I mean, he was desperate to have his daughter back home, but, you know, folks started to think Tim abandoned his kids and didn't even send child support. And now all of a sudden, he's desperate for Lucy, desperate to find her. Please don't tell me that this man was skimming from the fucking donation pot for his daughter's search funds. Please, please don't tell me that he was doing it. Well, I can't say that, but I can oh. say that he was kind of having a good time. <laughs> With the money that you're supposed to be using to find your daughter. He wasn't as sad as you would want a parent oh, in this situation to be. He was better off staying gone. So, so part of looking for Lucy because she was a hostess was going to these hostess bars, talking to people, making friends, gaining trust and stuff like that. But Tim will get drunk, drunk. He'd be talking about how the hostesses are so hot. He would stay there until the sun came up. And, it, and, and people are asking like, I get that you're looking for her at these clubs until 2 a.m. But like once, if you stay there till 6 a.m., how much searching can you do for her in the daytime? Yeah. You know? And Tim was constantly doing interviews, constant, constantly doing like these press releases. 
and um it was kind of like what's the line between being a concerned parent and being an attention whore i think tim, tim was living his best life honestly i don't think so i don't think he was out there just looking for his daughter i think he was out there enjoying himself yes because if her best friend went to all of these spots and no one saw hide her hair of her what makes you think that months weeks later she's just gonna randomly pop up at these clubs uh-huh. having a good time that's i don't i don't see that happening sir so let's take it back to hugh shakeshaft the one who offered to cover the family's meals okay now let's say you're in this situation right mm-hmm. someone has made this generous offer while you're looking for your missing child eat here for free yeah all right so me i'm going buffet style i'm eating i'm eating my feelings what would you do if you had free meals at this restaurant uh i I think i'd want less of a decision i'd probably do the same buffet just whatever's there warm grab it eat go so i can keep moving okay so Tim liked inviting people out to eat. Oh, Lord. It wasn't like he was having dates or nothing weird like that, but he would entertain journalists. And I feel like Hugh Shakespeare made this offer to make sure him and his family didn't starve. Yeah, but not And didn't kidding. have to eat ramen. Oh, Lord. But here he is, you know, feeding journalists. You know what I'm saying? So Hugh is, uh, he's not a happy guy. And Hugh offered an office space to Tim within his own business. Uh And Tim was not staying in his lane. He was inviting journalists over. He's doing media interviews in the office. He's leaving a mess outside the office and being rude to the staff of Hugh's business. So Tim is burning bridges for his family faster than they can go. It's new bridges, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Hugh, this made Hugh so mad. He wrote ten pages about how much he hated Tim. I don't even know where these pages went. Yo, he wrote a ten-page paper about ten why he hates ten-page paper about how much he hates Tim. I, I don't know if I can. It didn't pages. say if it was for court. It didn't say if it was in his diary. It didn't say anything. But he wrote this paper. It was in his office. Just Could you imagine being so mad? <laughs> Yo, I can't <laughs> imagine being so pissed off. I'm writing a 10-page essay. <laughs> like a level of angry that like it brings you back to college to do a fucking essay age essay <laughs> Why? what did you do to this man? <laughs> I feel bad for you me too <laughs> me too <laughs> he's like this writing 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 <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get a little somber. We're going to go back to Karita from Perth. We left her in a coma. Oh, yes, yes, Karita. Mm-hmm. Karita has jaundice. She's being kept alive by machine. Jeez. 
The doctors did everything they could, but her body was full of toxins because her liver wasn't functioning properly. And it was pretty quick that Corita was brain dead. Holy smokes. So her parents, Annette and Nigel, decided to put Corita to rest and, you know, take off the tubes and everything. I mean, as soon as they took out the tubes, her heart stopped. You know, the the hospital staff asked the family to take a step out. When they came back, Corita was dressed in a beautiful pink kimono, surrounded by flowers upon flowers upon flowers on her bed. Now, remember, she had been dropped off by Akira Nishida. Yes. So while the family is caught up in taking care of Corita, um, he's leaving voicemails for them. Saying what exactly? Okay, I guess it's 2000. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was just leaving messages with the hospital. It wasn't very specific. Okay. Because I'm like, we're leaving it at their hotel room. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Okay. But um, when they got in touch with each other, Akira Nishida is telling the family how close of a relationship he had with Karita and how much he cared for her. And he said, you know, we were hanging out. We got some seafood. She got food poisoning. I got her here as soon as I could. And this is on the phone. And, you know, he they're like, who are you? But he won't give any details. You know, he won't give his address or anything like that. If he had such a close relationship with her that he's never gone to the hospital to see her. Right. The hospital that you dropped her off at. You can't even say you didn't know where she was at. Right. You dropped her off, sir? So the family finds this suspect and they go to the wonderful police station. Well, let me guess, do nothing. They treat them as suspects. The family. Who's running this station? (laughs) I just want to talk to them for a little bit. Who? Dog. Dog. You Yeah, let's not go that deep. <laughs> but is it to the point where y'all don't give a damn about your family like, Oh my god. You so, concerned you didn't. Oh my god. So this dude Akira wants to talk to the parents, Annette and Nigel, alone. Because mm-hmm. remember her boyfriend Robert is still there, but um Akira will, does not want to see, right? Um, and in order to arrange this meeting, he says, oh, I'll cover the cost of your travel and the cost of the funeral, but please, you know, I want to meet you because I'm so close with her, you know? Uh And they met and he explained again about the food poisoning and he gave the parents, um, one parent got, you know, gifts, you know, so one gets a gold necklace and one gets a gold ring because Karita's. Karita died like a couple days before her like 19th or 20th birthday. Jeez, she's so young. Yeah. And so he gives the parents these gifts saying like, I bought this for her for her birthday, but she died. So here. And the parents were creeped out and they were just like, I'm out of here. Like, whatever, you know, yeah. bye. So Krista, who arranged for Lucy and Louise, to show up in Japan. Yes. And be hostesses. Yeah. So she hears about Lucy's disappearance and she reaches out 
to Louise and she's having like a whole breakdown, like crying and saying he should have just let her go. He should have just let her go the way he let me go. He should have just let her go. We got to be Krista's ass. That's what we got to do. <laughs> a lot of emotions so after a few days lucy doesn't come home so krista goes to the wonderful azabu police station now you're wondering i'm well if i were you i'd be wondering oh why did she wait five years they should treat her like a suspect though because what happened to krista happened in 1995 oh yes and now we're in the year 2000 and she's finally going to the police so why did he like compensate her for this weird outing that they had and that's why she didn't say anything oh no it's much more simple than that (laughs) a lot of foreign hostesses go to japan on a travel visa but then they get a job as a hostess but they don't have a work visa So when things like this happen to them, they don't go to the police because they're breaking the law. So it's kind of like in America where sex workers may get assaulted by someone, but you don't go to the police because the police are going to arrest you for being a sex worker in the first place. Oh my God. So essentially these women are going to be even more vulnerable because if something happens to you you can't say something because you risk going to jail just for being there under the conditions that you are exactly okay all right as the news so like uh, the, the the news of lucy's disappearance starts building like slowly and it becomes like international and women are starting to remember their trip to the seaside what do you mean women? Women. So you're telling me this happened to multiple women? Women. And, and oh my God, I keep forgetting that they, they can't report this. So who are they going to complain to their job? Like, I don't understand how. Well, we have one woman we're going to talk about right now. Her name is Katie Vickers. So in 1997, Katie had an experience just like Krista, but the man's name was Koji. Now, when Katie got drugged, she was sick for a long time. She spent days nauseous, tried to get better at home, but eventually she she went to work. And um, the gentleman we spoke of at the beginning of the story, Kai, uh-huh. that was her boss. And he wasn't he wasn't with the shits. Kai Miyazawa, he wasn't with the shits. All right, and uh-huh. he takes her to a doctor. She gets treated. Okay. He takes her to the Zabu police station, the wonderful Zabu police station. Guess what happens? He gets arrested. No, they just turn her away. What? Now, she she can remember what this guy looks like, what this guy's phone number is. She has a very good recollection of everything, and they didn't care. Pops don't care. Now, this is 1997 right 
So yes. in 2000, when Lucy goes disappearing, she goes back to the Azubu police station. And again. Even with this woman missing, they turn her away. Yes. Slowly, other women who had the same experience go to the police station and the police station turns them away. And they're like, Lucy definitely joined a cult. Sir, like, who was in charge of this police station? I just need, I just need some kind of, like... I, mean, I can't with these guys. Who was in charge of the police station? I can't with these guys. Where multiple women are reporting similar crimes. And y'all just like, okay, whatever, cool. So there's pressure coming from the British government. I mean, this gets up to like prime ministers talking to prime ministers. And so the police say, well, maybe it wasn't a cult. So they reach out to Kai that brought Katie in. And they said, let's meet. And he said, bring a car. He called Katie. And they get in the car with the policeman. And they start driving to the seaside. It had been three years. Katie had been there once. And she went on her gut and was like, turn here, turn there, turn there, go straight. And they end up at the seaside. Mm -hmm. So now that they know where the seaside is, the police go back to these women who had been reporting going to the seaside and bring them there. And they're like, yes, this is, definitely where i was at but no one knows which apartment number it is oh, so this is this is happening in like august right uh-huh. we're gonna backtrack to july 6 of 2000 this dude lives at the seaside he's locked out of his apartment he calls a locksmith right the property manager is like why is he breaking the lock this guy hasn't nobody's been in this apartment in years like, what is happening, right? The dude that went up with the locksmith left his car, like, parked out front. And the property manager is looking in the car. And there's all these, like, quote, lumpy objects covered with white sheets. Only the driver's seat had been clear, unquote. They called the police. Uh-huh. The police come. They're, like, going up into the apartment. And there's all this banging and banging and banging coming from the apartment. Uh-huh. and they knock on the door and the you know it took a while for anyone to respond they're saying like hey it's the police let us inside blah blah blah, blah. a dude comes to the door he's just in his pajama pants and he's like yo give me give me a second to get dressed you know like calm down right so he goes to get dressed and the cops you know how the cops kind of tap the door open with their little foot they tap the uh-huh. door open with their foot they see tools, concrete, and a laundry bag with something round inside. The man comes out dressed. He says, hey, hey, get out of my house. I don't want you in here. They, the, you know, legally, the cops just confirm that he owns the apartment and, and they leave. I mean, what else can they do? So they're yeah. walking out. And then dude starts yelling out for them, hey, police, police, or whatever. And they go back up to the apartment and he's holding like 
you know when you go to the butcher and it's wrapped in paper yeah so he's holding this thing wrapped in butcher paper and he opens the paper and it's a dead frozen dog and the dude is like i just didn't want you to find my dog i didn't want you to find my dog that's why i didn't let you in and the cops are like boo what boo like (laughs) your dog is not our problem like they're like okay dude you're weird right so jump back to 2000 mm-hmm. all right we don't know what apartment number it is and now the police finally get to work <sighs> so what they start with is checking for criminals that own apartments in that area because it's not like just the beach in one apartment building it's like a raggedy beach with multiple raggedy apartments Gotcha. And none of these girls could pinpoint which building. Or which apartment. Gotcha. All right. 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 And so um they they check for criminals, criminal records. Okay. So in the neighborhood, lots of people have criminal records. But there's <laughs> just one peeping Tom. Oh, so let's go. Get the freaky guy who likes to peep on people. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so they take this picture of the peeping Tom. They put it in that little photo array and they present it to the women who claim to have been drugged. All of them pinpointed the same guy. The peeping Tom, I'm assuming. Who is also the dead dog guy. <gasps> But you want to bet he was in there fucking getting rid of evidence in the walls or something. His name is Joji Obara. So once the women... Go ahead. So I'm assuming he lied about his name each and every one of these hostesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Actually, you know, when you read the book, he probably had like 20 to 30 different names over the course of his life. So once the women say it's him right they do a search warrant for the seaside apartment and any other property owned by obara because these girls went there in a rolls royce they went there in a porsche this dude has money he has money you know what i mean yeah you would think yeah so fifteen thousand items were seized by the police. 15,000 items from his apartment or from all of his properties? Um, I feel like it was a seaside apartment, but let's go with all his properties because that's a lot of stuff. That is, I don't think I have 15,000 items outside of clothing. Right? <laughs> if you count the socks separate. Yeah. <laughs> Each foot counts as one. That's wild. Fifteen thousand items. Yes. Oh, so okay. <laughs> I'm gonna run into some quotes right now. All right. Quote: There were tools, clothes, notebooks, sheaves of documents, rolls of film, videotapes, audio cassettes, pornographic prints, bottles of fluid, and sachets of powder. Unquote. I'm stuck on the fluid and the powder, but okay. 
An arrest warrant was issued for Obara, and he was arrested on October 12, 2000. Okay. All right. So we have to take a second and acknowledge the differences in culture. All right. And there's a lot of details about this in the book, and I'm just doing my best here. Mm-hmm. A newly issued arrest warrant is valid for three days. And if the police request, the court can extend it by 10 days, two times. So every arrest warrant is good for 23 days. Okay, when you say good for, so I'm assuming that in the 23 day time frame, they don't catch your ass, it's what, voided? No. So the way arrest warrants work is they arrest you, but you're only under arrest during like business hours. What? Yeah. So like Monday to Friday. And if I'm getting this wrong, people let me know. But it's like Monday to Friday, eight to five, you're stuck in that police station and then you can go home and then you have to come back the next day. And I might be interpreting that wrong, but that was my understanding. If, if that's the case, what stops people from just hauling ass? Now, listen, that's the thing. <laughs> Japan culturally has like this thing of honor. Okay, uh, yes, yes, yeah. So a lot of people would not want to dishonor their family by being like, you're the, you're the person that ran and you did not take responsibility for your actions. Okay, I get that. Yes. Right. So yeah. in Japan, they, they do this 23 days, and most people, mm-hmm. if they're guilty, they just confess, right? Mm-hmm. They confess, they did it. So 23 days, plenty of time. But this guy, this Obara, oh, he's not confessing. He doesn't seem like the type. He's not confessing. And they, you know, at this time in Japan, they don't want to take him to court until he confesses. Because that's just culturally what they're used to. So they're going to wait for him to confess. And if he does not, then what? Let's see. Because the police could not get him the break. And I think okay. I think a big reason they couldn't get him the break is because they weren't properly trained on interrogating someone who wouldn't confess. Just because yeah, of the like culture. Oh, I stole the apple. Lock me up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was me. We have to give the police station credit. They got creative, right? The 15,000 items that they seized fill an entire room to the ceiling. Okay. The bottles and the powders are analyzed and determined to be arranged from your everyday Spanish fly to chloroform. And you know what Spanish fly is. I know you're younger than me. I think I've heard of Spanish fly. Isn't that what they, um... It's a date rape drug. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Okay. So they also, you know, collected some audio cassettes. And these Mm -hmm. audio cassettes were memos that he would make to himself. But these videotapes, though, some were so old that they were Betamaxes. Have you even heard of that? Betamax? Okay, no. Betamax is, is before VCR. Holy smokes. See, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I remember VCRs. I don't remember what came before that. That's yes. why. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so 
some of the videos have women's names, some have dates, and there's a lot of them. And these policemen have to take turns watching these videos and taking notes about what they saw. Cops. That, you know what? I, I take back some of the mean things I said about them, only because they have to go through this. Same. Um, you, you, you don't even know the beginning of it. Okay. Each video would start with a man, usually with his face obscured, sharing a drink with a beautiful woman, probably a hostess. Cut to the woman laying naked in different positions. Often the women's legs would be laid into hooks to keep them open. A masked man would appear with a huge boner and begin to assault the women. And in the video, I'm assuming you can tell these women are out of it during the duration of the abuse. Yeah, they are passed out. Well, I guess this might be jumping the gun, but do the police recognize any of the women that came forward and match them to a video? You're jumping the gun. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is just like, it's not just his wiener. It's all types of rape. Toys. Okay food like it's fucking a lot okay so now like you said the women are completely passed out but sometimes they would wake up and obar would hold a towel under their nose until they went back limp and i'm sorry does this man have any kind of like chemistry background how does he know he's not dosing them too much which i'm assuming is what happens when these women end up in the hospital with kidney failure Mm-hmm. And and he's also taking still pictures of this. So I mentioned notebooks. Uh-huh. And in the notebooks, he took real good notes. And he called what he was doing conquest play. And so we have a quote from a document presented to the court by the prosecution. The defendant lists the names of women with whom he has had sexual relations since 1970 and the I'm sorry I'm so it's sorry. okay it's okay and the conduct of their sexual intercourse and this notebook starting with the entry I administered sleeping drugs in April 1970 he records sexual acts with numerous women after administering sleeping drugs and chloroform at the beginning of the book, there's a record of the number of people with whom he has had sexual relations in each year, such as 1990, nine people, 1991, nine people. And there's a record of the number of people with whom he has had sexual relations by nationality. There's also a record of the conduct of his sexual relations with 209 women between around 1970, when the defendant was 17 years old, and 1995, when the defendant was 33 years old. There's a note, 1970, fourth woman, to the, to the effect that I got a woman drunk and gave her a sleeping drug, but could not have intercourse because she was a virgin. Regarding an experience in 1969, 
There's also a mention to the effect of using hymenol, a sedative also known as quaalude. 1970, third woman, chloroform, sleeping drug. 1973, woman number 26, SMYK, sleeping drug. 1981, woman number 63, specialty, SMY, sleeping drug. 1983, woman number 95, C-R-O-H-O-L, chloroform, SMY, 1983, women number 9798, and SMY ice cream. It can be acknowledged that from his early days, he was repeatedly committing quasi-rape using sleeping drugs and chloroform. Moreover, the defendant writes that having sex with women using sleeping drugs and chloroform is the defendant's modus operandi. For example, I do it in the flat following the usual pattern. SY sleeping drug was good, but CROO chloroform was unnecessary and she ended up vomiting badly woman number 150 made her sleep in the flat with smy ice cream plus chocolate and then pv porn video he oh writes that from around 1983 he has been taking photos of and filming with a video camera the rape scenes such as full scale vtr video number one which is actually woman number 139 PV porn video, PP porn photo, woman number 152, foreigner video number one, woman num number 160, went to Zushi like always, FC fuck PV, woman number 162. So he kept detail, like super detailed records of what he did to each and every woman. Mm -hmm. You said 200 plus women he did this to? That he documented, yes. That he documented. Oh my God. But could you imagine what he didn't document? I don't want to. <laughs> I can't. But, okay. Um, I feel like I'm gonna jump the gun again, so I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> no, that's all right. Like you asked earlier, the police do begin to identify the women in the videos and the pictures, mm -hmm. and where they can, the women are asked to come in, and they're they're shown the videos or the pictures of themselves. Yeah, being assaulted. Yeah, oh. and they have to like confirm their own identity. Holy so with the amount of people. Uh, people the, with the amount of women that they're 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 able to identify this 23 yeah. days gets extended so okay. it's one arrest warrant for one thing and then on day 22 they say hey there's this woman another 22 arrest days warrant. here's the next woman and so on and so forth and uh they're doing this to try and find lucy let's not forget lucy yeah okay I was going to say, did they find Lucy on any of the footage, pictures, records? So, let's, let's, 
Now, the 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 cops are doing work, but at the end okay. of the day, they just want the the journalists to go away. Yeah, because now they feel like they haven't been doing their job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got to prove themselves. So there was a sheath of papers, and within that, the police find a bunch of receipts, like lots of receipts. Like this guy doesn't throw away receipts or anything, honestly. So, in November of 2000, they identified a hospital receipt for the treatment of Carita Ridgeway. You remember Carita? Carita. With the kimono, the pink kimono and the flowers? Liver failure. Liver failure. Yeah. So, um, they find this hospital receipt. They go to the hospital and, um, the hospital gives the police a photo and the police are able to find the videotape tied to Karina. Karina. So, I mean, she's passed away. She's been cremated. The police are putting pressure on the hospital. Find something. There has to be something. There has to be something. They found a piece of Karina's liver. Eight years later, they had a sample of Karina's liver. So they could test it to see what he gave her. Yeah. Do you want to know why it's even there? I feel like I'm going to regret saying yes. Why why did they have that? Incompetence. It was supposed to be thrown away. So just the off chance that someone did not do their job correctly. Yes. That piece of her liver was still being stored at the hospital. Finally, incompetence comes to save the day. Chances in the world. Oh my gosh. So when they test the liver, high amounts of chloroform. And that's what probably caused the And that was concluded to be the cause of death. And the video does show Obara holding the towel under her nose. So murder. Murder. Yes. He's officially a murderer. But this ain't about Karita. This is about Lucy. Where's Lucy? True, but it makes me feel like Lucy is dead because had she been alive, she would have shown up at a hospital like Karita. All right. Well, let's keep digging through these receipts. All right. Okay. Now, they get to the receipts from early July 2000, which Lucy went missing July 1st. Okay. And on July 2nd, Obara purchased 20 pounds of dry ice with a large box. The next day, he purchased another 20 pounds of dry ice. Oh, oh, she did. She did. On July 4th, Obara went to L.L. Bean and bought, quote, camping equipment, including three two-man tents. Three ground sheets, a folding table, a seven-gallon cooler, flashlights, and a sleeping bag, unquote. So, he took her body and buried it somewhere. Then, he visited a hardware store and bought, quote, a towel, three bags of concrete, 
five cans of quick set setting agent for the cement, a stirrer, a plastic box, a paintbrush, a bucket, and a broom. Unquote. Oh, he's not done. Sam, Sam. He's got more shopping to do. And this is days after her disappearance. Yes, ma'am. On this visit to the third store, he buys, quote, chisels, a hammer, wire, a knife, scissors, gloves, plastic bags, an axe, a handsaw, and a chainsaw, unquote. Obara went so far as to call these stores ahead of time to make sure the stuff he wanted to pick up was in stock. You got to say words, man. This is a podcast. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I hear the items and it just, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming he went to the woods and he did something with her body. But... Like this list of shit that he was getting from each store wasn't like raising red flag. Well, I guess they didn't get to it till November. Oh, it's like November God. that they have all this stuff. But okay, all right. So we've got this extensive shopping list days after she goes missing. Yes. Okay. So it's November. Winter comes around, and you know, I guess the the um. Weather's a bit different out there. Um, yeah, they're, they're a little bit. Like, it was, like, too wet to deal with in the summer. And there was, like, a lot of, like, uh, venomous, like, creatures and stuff. So winter rolls around and it's, like, cleared out. And the police start, they, they said, all right, this is the apartment. So look for anywhere a body could be buried. Like, okay. fucking anywhere. Mm. And come February, they find Lucy. Down the beach from the apartment building, there's a cliff. And within that cliff, there's a cave. And in the entry of the cave, there is a discarded tub. Oh, my God. The tub was removed, and the police began to dig. And they dug until there was no sand left in the cave. So the first garbage bag is found and inside that garbage pan, garbage bag are a human arm and two human feet. Oh my God. Then a torso is found. No bag, just in the sand. Two more bags are found with two thighs, an arm, two calves, and a large piece of cement, which turned out to be a human head. At the lab, the cement is chipped away from the head to expose the teeth, which were matched to Lucy Black. So, he assaults her, and I'm assuming she dies from the concoction of drugs he gave her, and then he dismembers her body, and marries her in a fucking cave. Yes. So at this point, Obar is now facing two counts of murder, Carita and Lucy, and okay. then all the other rape and drug charges. Gotcha. 
So the same way the police hold on for a confession, the hmm. courts want to know why. And o- I mean, I think Obara, no, they want to hear it from him. No, no, yeah, yeah, pressure his ass. Put a, put a fire to his feet. I don't know. Stop. And Obara said, no, nah, this was consensual. Sorry, the tanks. The, the tanks, sir. So it couldn't help him with the rape charges. Mm-hmm. But in particular with Lucy's case, there was no blood in the apartment. But he had years. Well, not years. No. He had, well, he had weeks to, to, to get rid of any evidence. So he had from July and then he was arrested in October. Yeah, so and I think they reason. raided it in August. So it's like two, yeah. two full months. Yeah, it gives him at least two full months to make that place as spotless as possible. And then he bought all those tarts and stuff. So who's not to say all those, all the items that he bought from those stores weren't used in dismembering her body and that he could just throw them out and then there wouldn't be any evidence left in the apartment if he did it correctly. All right. Good point. Let's see what happens, okay? On top of there being no blood in the apartment, There's no video of Lucy. There are pictures of her in the apartment, uh-huh. but it's just her smiling in a picture. And Obara will not confess. He won't do it. So the police are like, all right, we have to get evidence because we want this guy going away. We want justice for Lucy. We need evidence. Okay. Why isn't there blood in the apartment? I mean, uh-huh. if, if let's say the day... It's my dead dog day. Was uh-huh. the day that he was dismembering Lucy. Why wasn't there any blood? Right? right? So here's the thing. Another cultural thing. Don't know if it's still valid now, but it was at the time. Trials, they go on a different schedule. Uh-huh. Out here in the States, a trial starts and then it's every day until resolved and like i don't know there's motions and psych exams that might cause delays but essentially every day until it's done so at this time in japan trials take place once a month once a month per offender so a trial that takes two months in the states takes five years in japan and i think this is a cultural thing with like japanese criminals would normally confess and this just would be a non-issue it just would be a non-issue but obara's not with the shit they have a lot of faith in their people that would not work over there yeah (laughs) we would be in trouble if they did that deal yeah may 2004 three years after finding lucy blackman's body the police are trying they're still trying to figure out why there's no evidence of dismemberment at this apartment and then they remember, oh, L.L. Bean, these tents. Why did he purchase these tents? The police buy the tents and they get a dead pig. What? Yes, ma'am. They get a pig from the butcher shop, a whole pig. And I see what they're doing. They're trying to figure out if, like I said, if he cuts up the body in the tent, would that leave any evidence behind? Finally, they're doing something cranky. But, but, this pig is ready to cook. It has no blood in it. Oh, come on. 
come on now. Now, now, the reason they have time to do this is because the trial takes place once a month. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So it sucks, um, but because he's not talking, it's also helping. And so they have to, like, you know, create this, like, fake blood and thaw the pig and then inject it into the pig's veins and okay. then go in the tent, dismember the pig, and, and mm -hmm. just to make sure they just fucking went wild with blood and just squirted yeah, sure. it everywhere. Not one drop of blood came out that tent. Knew it. Knew it. LL Bean knows what they're doing. Proof, apparently. Holy smokes. But you know what? Court doesn't really care. They want no. their confession and they want to know why. Okay. Wait. I guess, okay, culturally speaking, the 200 plus counts of rape and the They're not person, counts of rape because if a woman's not present, it doesn't count. So, okay, so at this point in time, how many counts does he have actively against him? Do they mention? Not until later. So, not that I don't want justice for Lucy. Well, I guess what I'm trying to ask is why couldn't they just push forward with the other murder and the rapes and then pressure him with time kind of like how they would do with stateside be like bro we already got you on that they we really are of honor like this is the impression i got i don't i'm not here trying to be like a professional about japanese culture but it's this thing of honor and and like because like it would be so disrespectful to all like your ancestors you know what i mean to not just say okay i did this please punish me type of thing yeah i guess the thing that's, so, that's aggravating me is that the, 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 the prosecution like what else do you need you've got all this proof the body was found how far away from this house you've got pictures of her in his house no one's seen her since she's been with this man mm-hmm why isn't this adding up for you? Again, the courts don't really care about the evidence. They want him to confess. But he kept saying, we hung out and she left. I don't know how she ended up murdered, dismembered, next to my apartment building. <clears throat> Obara was convicted <clears throat> of the death of Karita Ridgeway, okay. along with six cases of rape and sentenced to life. His whereabouts are currently unknown. While Lucy Blackman did not receive justice, she did stop a madman. And that's the story of Lucy Blackman, the hostess who stopped a madman. How are his whereabouts unknown if he's supposed to be spending life in jail? Hello. Where the fuck is he? Hello. Don't please don't tell me this man just weaseled himself out of the system and now he's probably just living on the island somewhere just rich as fuck. Now listen, sure. mind you, in the year two thousand he was fifty five. Okay, so two thousand he's fifty five, so right now he'd be in his seventies. Seventies, almost eighty he'd be knocking on eighties door right now? Yeah. So he's an old ass bastard, but he uh, Yeah. Still that that I don't. I don't know if I really foresee that as, as as justice if they don't really know where he's at right now. That seems a little fishy to me. Agreed. 
So I do want to say that, you know, our discussion does the book no justice. Richard Lloyd Perry, he spent years investigating the story. The book includes the history of almost every single person um, from the perpetrator to the victim. Um, It really delves into what the police did and didn't do. It examines cultural effects like i know i touched on some of the cultural aspects but there's way more cultural aspects in this book that that like run really really deep the book has um excerpts from lucy blackman's diary it's it's really a really good read and i strongly recommend people who eat darkness support your local library and check this book out literally and figuratively speaking of local libraries today we are highlighting an event at the bozeman public library in bozeman montana all right this is an all adults event gyrokinesis taking place in the community room december 21st 2023 from 12 15 p.m to 1 p.m at the Bozeman Public Library, and I'm going to read the description. This is led by Erin. The gyrokinesis method is a movement method that addresses the entire body, opening energy pathways, stimulating the nervous system, increasing range of motion, and creating functional strength through rhythm, flowing movement sequences. It is an original and unique method that coordinates movement, breath, and mental focus. Gyrokinesis method is practiced on a mat and chair without equipment. Erin is a a Montana mom. She is a gyrokinetic teacher, ski instructor, and arthritis educator. She has experience with RA, AS, and inflammatory tendon disease, and that has fueled her professional purpose. She teaches clients how to recover from injuries like hip and knee replacements and to work on challenges like scoliosis and osteoporosis and how to improve through gyrotonic work. She also teaches somatic approach to cross-country skiing, which gets people's balance and flowing in the winter. She teaches group exercise at the YMCA and she's a hike person for known for snow activities and prioritizes getting out with clients, friends, and family from December to May. Her passion is arthritis therapy and coaching. She enjoys reaching out to the community. And um, she says she picks up where the doctor leaves off. She's an enthusiastic guide for patients learning self-care. So head on down to the library, enjoy a free event, and hit the stacks on your way out. Bye, Sam. Bye, Pat.